0: Father, we're grateful to stand before you and your people to preach your everlasting word. And we're grateful that you have preserved your word in our language for so many centuries. We do pray for those who are working hard to translate your word in many languages around the world that are waiting for the first time, many peoples waiting for the first time in their history for their language to be translated or your word to be translated in their language. We ask that you would be with those Bible translators, aid them, give them wisdom in that difficult task and continue to supply their every need according to your riches in Christ Jesus so that those millions of people starving for your word might finally have it. And help us who have it, and have had it for so long to not go through voluntary starvation of your word, but to feast on your word daily. Even if it is in a simple gratitude that you have so graciously preserved your word in our language for so long. Help us not to neglect the reading, the meditation, the memorization, the teaching, the preaching of your word for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's a word that is very often used in our society today, but very seldom understood. It is a word that represents a very powerful concept. So much so that this word was carefully placed in our U.S. Citizens Pledge of Allegiance. How many of you grew up standing in front of the flag in school, placing your right hand over your chest uh, and repeating the Pledge of Allegiance. I sure did. It was a strange thing. I remember when I came here as a little boy from Jamaica, nine years of age, and and having to learn this ritual in public school. Uh, We didn't have that where I grew up, uh, at least certainly not on a, a daily basis. But if you remember the Pledge of Allegiance, say it with me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's our word. That's our word, justice. I was looking for the flag. We used to have flags of promote. Pastor Mark, what happened to our flags? We used to have the church flag, the Christian flag, and then the U.S. flag up here. Did one of y'all steal the flag? <laughs> Repent and put it back. All right. Liberty and justice for all. Now, even in the Constitution, we find this important word justice. The preamble of the Constitution reads this way, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. I think our founding fathers of this country understood that deep down in the human heart, we all long for justice, don't we? The problem is that while we want justice for ourselves, sometimes we care very little about justice for others. And sometimes we are so blinded by our own self-interest that we actually commit injustices against others. Think about it. Have you ever wondered how our founding fathers, who cared enough about justice to enshrine it in our Constitution, could have at the same time legislated and participated in the brutal African slave trade? The U.S. was established as a nation 243 years ago this year. But the transatlantic slave trade began here some 200 years before that in the mid-1500s, and we're still feeling the effects of that national nightmare today. Now before we get too indignant about our forefathers in the past, let's be reminded that we all have our own blind spots created by our own self-interests. Some of us have been divorced, for example, because one or both spouses decided for selfish reasons that It would be better to end the marriage, but today you realize that you didn't give enough thought and consideration about the impact your decision would have on your children. Some of us have parented children out of wedlock for selfish reasons, again, without realizing the negative impact on the children. And some of us live lavishly by comparison without any care and concern for the poor that are all around us. I recently picked up a book to read that I've, been, I've had laying down in my office for some time. And it's a book written by one of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller from New York. And the title of the book is Generous Justice. And while reading this book, God prompted me with the thought that UBC needs to hear a few messages inspired by this book. We all need not just a better understanding of justice, but also a better practice of it. And the reason is very simple. It is not just our U.S. Constitution and citizens' pledge of allegiance that seeks to instill and uphold justice in our society, but God cares very much about justice in our society. And we know that because he says so much about justice in his holy word. And so if it's important to God, then it must be important to us, his church. So please open your Bibles, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 42. The book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah 42, verse 1, the Scripture says, God is really speaking. He says, "...here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets." A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope this is what god the lord says he who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it i the lord have called you in righteousness i will take hold of your hand i will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and the light for the gentiles to open the eyes that are blind to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Stop right there. Three times in just seven verses, Isaiah quotes the Lord saying that he will send his anointed servant to bring justice to the nations, to faithfully bring forth justice, and that his servant will not be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth these are bold proclamations by the lord our god not only repeated for clarity's sake but also for priority's sake god is emphasizing to his people that he is the god of justice now a question we should all have at this point is this okay i get that god is a god of justice but who is this anointed servant of God that will bring justice to the earth? And where in the world is he? Right? I mean, we need him right about now. Amen? I've been in several meetings where the leader is leading a chant that goes something like this. You've all heard it. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. So it's a fair question, right? Right? Who is this anointed servant of God that brings justice to our world? Well, the answer might surprise some of us. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 4. The Gospel of Luke chapter 4, verse 17. The Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 17. After our Lord Jesus was tempted by Satan while he fasted in the Judean desert, the Bible says that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And he began teaching in the synagogue from week to week. And one day he returned to his hometown of Nazareth, as was his custom. He stood up in the synagogue to read the Scriptures. Now, the synagogue in the Jewish ver- is really the Jewish version of the church, all right? As Jesus stood up, someone gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus opened the scroll, and this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. What's more remarkable is what Jesus said in verse 21. He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now that's deep right there. You know why? If someone asked you, why did Jesus come to earth, what would you tell them? My guess is most of you would say, Jesus came to die on the cross to save us from our sins, Right? But that's not the answer that Jesus gave to his hometown crowd in his hometown synagogue. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor. Now, for those of you who are poor, if you're poor, what's good news to you? That you'll be poor no more, right? Jesus said that the Holy Spirit sent him to proclaim freedom for the prisoner. Now, if you're in prison, what's good news to you? That you'll be set free, right? Jesus said that the Holy Spirit anointed and sent him to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. Again, let me ask you, if you are blind, what's good news to you? That you're going to have your sight. Again, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit anointed and sent him to release the oppressed. And again, for those of you who have been oppressed, what is good news to you? Nothing but sweet release from your oppressor, right? Finally, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit anointed and sent him to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You say, that's great, but what in the world does that mean? It's a reference to the glorious year of jubilee in Israel. Every 50 years, the law in Israel required a financial and a legal reset button to be pushed. A financial and legal reset button would be pushed every 50 years in Israel. Now, if you or your family were in debt in those days, no matter how much debt, you were in, during the year of Jubilee, all your debts were canceled. If you were in prison, no matter for what reason, or how long your prison sentence was, or how much time you had already served, during the year of Jubilee, you would be pardoned. If you were a slave, no matter how long you were a slave, you would be set free during the year of Jubilee. If you or your family lost ownership of your land for whatever reason, your land was returned to you during the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee recognized the fact that we live in a fallen world, that people aren't perfect and systems are not perfect. And so the year of Jubilee was an attempt by God to help his people have a second chance. It was a reset, a fresh start for those who desperately needed one. The year of Jubilee ensured that poverty and oppression didn't get passed on from generation to generation. One of the biggest problems we have in our country today are families and individuals who are living in generational cycles of poverty, and in some cases oppression of one kind or another. And so this year of Jubilee, God said, this is what I want you to do as Israel as a nation. I want you to establish this year of Jubilee when everything is reset and where justice is restored to the land and to the people of the land. And so... Jesus is here saying that I am the Messiah who has been anointed and sent to alleviate all suffering of injustice and to proclaim the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. Now, as I said before, people have different ideas about what justice is and how we go about justice in our society today. In fact, the term social justice is sometimes overused and poorly practiced. Did you know that the terms liberal and evangelical, in reference to the church, came about in the early 20th century when mainline, some mainline churches began caring for the material needs of the poor at the expense of caring for their souls, and so some of the these churches, mainline churches, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist churches, became known as the liberal churches who practice what became known as the social gospel. They were the Luke 4, 17 to 19 churches. Whereas the Baptist churches and the charismatic churches were more concerned about preaching the gospel to save souls and baptize individuals. They were the John 3.16, or the Ephesians two eight nine and 9 churches, and they became known as the conservative evangelical churches. Well, I've got some good news for us today. God made the body, the mind, and the soul, and he cares about all of it. He cares about the whole person. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the cross is not only about the saving of our souls, but it's about the healing of our minds and our bodies as well. It's about the healing of our pocketbooks as well. Jesus cares about the whole person because he made the whole person and he knows that we have to live in this life until we get to the next life. And that's what justice is all about. It's restoring right relationships in every area of our lives. And so... With God, it's not an either this or that, but it is a both this and that. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is holistic, and that's what we're going to learn in this series. We will learn how the call to justice is also empowered or fueled by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's get back to our first text to better understand what the biblical word translated justice really means. In our Isaiah 42 passage, we found the word justice listed three times in seven verses. The Hebrew word is a word mishpat, which is found in all of its variations about 200 times in the Old Testament alone. Mishpat. The word mishpat, translated justice here in Isaiah 42, means to treat people equitably. It means, for example, to acquit or punish everyone based only on the merits of their case, not according to their race, their gender, or their class. Which is why it is a miscarriage of justice, and we see it all the time in the news, when people with money get off scot-free from a crime they've committed, and then people without money sometimes get railroaded to do time for a crime they may not have even committed. We see it happening all the time. Well, Mishpat, justice here in Isaiah 42 means to give people their due rights to be acquitted or punished according to the merits of your case, not according to your race, gender, or social class. And that's what the writer of Proverbs 31:9 meant when he wrote Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Zechariah put it this way in the biblical book bearing his name, Zechariah 7, 9 and 10 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. Did you know that justice is part of of God's character, it's part of who he is. Listen to what Psalm 146 says. It says that God executes justice for the oppressed and he gives food to the hungry. The Lord loves those who live justly. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, 17 and 18, we read this. The Lord your God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. Now it would seem to us, by reading those few verses, that God unfairly sides with the poor and the oppressed. Well, that's one way to think of it, but here's another way to look at it. The middle class and the wealthy have greater means to defend themselves from injustice or to right the wrongs of injustice done to them. And so God defends those who can't defend themselves. To put it another way, the Pharisees, when the Pharisees asked Jesus why he was hanging out with sinners instead of hanging out with them, here's what Jesus said. It is not the healthy people that need a doctor, it's the sick ones Matthew chapter 10. Makes sense, right? Now, Dr. Tim Keller makes a profound point in his book, Generous Justice, that I had never considered before. He mentioned another word found in Scripture that's closely related and oftentimes in the same sentence or the same verse or passage as the word most often translated as justice. And it's a Hebrew word, sadeka which is most often translated righteous or righteousness. Anybody remember the old guy, Jewish entertainer by the name of Neil Sedeca? That's the English translation of this Hebrew word, Sedeca, which is, means righteous or just one. When translated just or justice, it means to be in right relationship with God, self, and others. That's what righteousness or tzedakah means. To live a righteous life is a kind of primary preventative justice. And to do mishpat kind of justice is to punish wrongdoers or to care for the one to whom injustice was done. That is punitive or rectifying justice. Now watch this. If more people practice preventative justice, that is, if more people were righteous lived righteous lives on a daily basis, then rectifying justice would be almost unnecessary because most people would be in right relationships with each other, so there would be no need for the rectifying justice of mishpat. Oh, that we had more people in the world like Brother Job. Remember him? Brother Job, the guy who lost everything on a bet between God and Satan. I hope God doesn't place a bet on your life with the devil like he did with Satan. Here's what Job said about himself as he was going through his own trials and trying to understand the why me questions. He said, I rescued the poor who cried for help. And the fatherless who had none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. That's the word sedekah, And justice was my robe and my turban. That's the word mishpat. This is Job speaking of himself. He's bragging a little bit about his own righteousness and justice. He says, I was the eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the immigrant. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. This is found in Job chapter 29, 12 through 17. Last week I was sitting in my growth group last Sunday morning and uh, I got a text from one of our new members, Brother Emiko. He says, Pastor, uh, our brother Jason has, uh, has missed his ride to church. And, and uh, do, you, do you know somebody that can get him a ride to church? Because he's really bummed out that he can't make it to church. And I didn't really know what to do. I'm sitting in my class looking at my phone and I'm thinking, Who has a van that can pick Jason up uh, where you got to take out the seats and put in his wheelchair, his motorized wheelchair, and bring him to church? And I I felt horrible and helpless. Well, when I walked into the sanctuary, I I basically said, I don't know anyone and I'm sorry. That's what I texted back to Brother Emiko. A little while later, I come into the service to start the service, and there I see Emiko with a big smile on his face and I see Jason with a smile on his face who was sitting here. What happened to Jason? Did he have to leave already? And so I said, Amico, what happened? How did you get him here? He says, Pastor, don't worry, I found a way. And he's here. I found another way. And I'm scratching my head, I'm going, praise God, but how did that happen? Then Amico says to me, Pastor, I'm working today. So I gotta go back to work. See you later. And he walks out of the service. And Jason is here with a big Cheshire Cat grin on his face. Now, I'm thinking, Amiko's middle name must be Job. That's what I was thinking. You see, Brother Amiko works as a nursing assistant in Jason's apartment building. And when he saw Jason sad that he had missed his special wheelchair van ride to church, he made it his mission to get him here somehow through great personal sacrifice. And Miko then said, Pastor, I just found a different way, another way to get him here. And he was glad to do it. And he just walks out and he said, I'm going back to work. See you next week in church. Last Sunday, Emiko was clothed in righteousness and justice was his robe. That's right. May God help all of us daily clothe ourselves in righteousness and robe ourselves with justice. When we get a grasp of just how much God loves us, And has sacrificed for us, though we were so unworthy of such extravagant love and costly sacrifice. Only then will we act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. When the Muslim people in the Misaki village of Tanzania found out how much time, energy, and money was spent to help them get access to fresh, clean water. Do you know what else they wanted to know? They wanted to know why. Why would you strangers from a faraway land do such a costly thing for us? We're a nobody of 5,000 people in this obscure village in the middle of nowhere, and our own government doesn't care for us. Why would you? come across the Atlantic Ocean and travel for 15 hours in an airplane and plan and do all these complex calculations and raise thousands of dollars so we can have fresh, clean water. They wanted to know why. Why would you and your church make those sacrifices for us? And the only thing I could think of to tell them was this. Because one day, a long, long time ago, God made the supreme sacrifice for us. So what's a few thousand dollars and a few hours in an airplane compared to that supreme sacrifice of leaving the glories of heaven to walk in this sin-cursed earth, to die on an excruciating death, on an excruciating cross for the sins of humanity? You see, when you understand the grace of God, when you have received the grace and the mercy of God, you want to do justice. You want to do righteousness for others. It It is a motivating factor for every just and righteous thing we do. That is why we do everything that we do, because God first made such an infinitely costly sacrifice for us. Last week Friday, Pastor Mark and Sarah Magruder, recent Moody grad, delivered the backpacks to the schools in Uptown and all the supplies that you all donated. Now I think our goal was 75 backpacks and we ended up with about 50 or so. But let's assume that each of our backpacks ended up on the back of a very needy child who showed up to school unprepared for the first week of class. Those of you who made a sacrifice, however great or small for you, on behalf of another child, You not only blessed that child, but you blessed their whole family. You blessed their whole family. And maybe, just maybe, your act of righteousness prevented the need for rectifying justice. Maybe just maybe one child no longer felt the need to beat somebody up and steal their backpack because he got one of your free ones with supplies. See, sometimes when we look at the news and we see all the injustice and we see all this gun crime and all kinds of wickedness, and we shake our heads and we we like, I don't understand it. Why can't everybody just be like me? You don't understand because you haven't taken the time to sit down and listen to some of the stories. You haven't taken the time to to walk in the moccasins, to walk in the shoes of some of the people who are doing this stuff. And so you make an assumption that they just need to clean up their act and they need to just stop doing that stuff. And... But that's not the way justice works. That's not the way biblical justice operates. Biblical justice has a more gracious undertow to it. And, it, and, and biblical justice, again, always comes from the vantage point of the grace that we have received, and some would say unjustly received. The grace we've received from God, how many of you deserve God's grace? Let me see your hand. No, you don't. If you raise your hand, you don't understand grace. Grace and you don't understand the holiness and righteousness of God. Not one of us deserves his grace and mercy. Not one. The Bible says there's not one that is righteous among us. Not one that is truly righteous. I'm talking about perfect righteousness and holiness. And defi- despite the fact that we didn't deserve... God's grace and mercy, he lavishly poured it out on us anyway. Incredible. Each Monday night, our church volunteers cook and serve a tasty free meal to about 50 or 60 people who come off the streets of Uptown. And we used to feed about 200 people every week. And I'm not sure all the reasons why we only have about 50 or 60 now, but here's the thing I know. Our volunteers faithfully show up every week to cook, to set tables and chairs, to serve food and drinks, to wash dishes, to mop floors, to take out garbage, to hand out clothes to those in need. And we preach the good news of the gospel so that our guests might take the opportunity to establish a personal relationship with Christ. Why do we do this? Because when we were hungry and thirsty and filthy in our sin, Jesus took us in and fed us and gave us drink and washed us clean and set us on a path of righteousness. That's why we do it. We don't do it to get in the newspaper. We don't do it for accolades and applause of men. We do it because Christ has done it for us. And we will never understand and we will never practice justice, biblical justice, if we don't grasp the magnitude of our own grace that has been given to us by Christ. Furthermore, Jesus said, he said, When you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. Think about that. The Lord said, When you act righteously and do justice, whether it is the preventative kind of justice in your righteous acts or it is the the rectifying type of justice to repair the damage of injustice by others, when you do that, Jesus said, it's like you're doing it to me. In other words, our Lord Jesus so closely identifies with people who are broken, and wounded and left for dead with no voice. That he says, when you church, when you do all this righteous, good, awesome stuff that I'm commanded you to do, when you make sacrifices on behalf of other people, it's like you're doing it for me. That's amazing to me. And so I pray. That God will continue to help us to understand the generous grace that we have received, so that we will be a conduit, a constant flow, a constant conduit for God's grace and justice to flow through us to those that are need. We can't fix every problem. We can't save every soul. We can't feed every hungry person. We can't put a backpack on every single person's back that needs one, but we can do something. So never let the idea and the magnitude of the problem that makes you feel overwhelmed that we can't do something. We can always do something. And and if if the love of God is in us, and we understand the grace of God in our lives and how much we ourselves have been rescued and loved by God and so infinitely, we will think and plan and strategize and find a way to maximize whatever resources we have to help and bless somebody else. Because that is the nature of gracious justice and that's the nature of people who have received God's grace, it makes us want to be and to see justice, to, to see justice around us and to be a part of implementing justice in an unjust society. And I, and I thank God for this church and for, as I look and I hear the stories of your own personal sacrifice, week in and week out, it, it blesses my soul. But I know that some of you are still struggling to get engaged and get involved because you you have yet to understand God's grace for you. Or maybe you have yet to receive his grace and mercy and so you are not on the front lines dispensing God's grace and seeing about justice to be done because you yourself don't really get it yet. But I pray that in this series of messages that you will get it. Because when you get it, first of all, your whole life is transformed. God God wrecks you for glory. And then secondly, you then go out and do what God has called you to do. And and He uses you. You become that conduit. And there's such great joy and satisfaction and fulfillment when you are an instrument of God's blessing in His hands. That's what happens when you When you are wrecked by God's grace and mercy, you become a righteous person seeking to do righteousness and justice. You then are like Job, every morning you get up, the suit of clothing that you put on is righteousness and for good measure you put on some justice as a robe over your righteousness. That's what happens to us who are beneficiaries, receivers of God's grace and God's mercy. And until then, until you grasp it, until that happens to you, you will be unconcerned about the injustice around you. And so may God help us to no longer be unconcerned, those of us who still are, but may God help us to receive his grace and mercy, to value it, to treasure it, and allow it to transform us to be people who perform Gracious justice. Let's stand as we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What's God saying to you this morning? Have you already received His grace and mercy in your life? I know for sure you didn't get justice from God because if you did, you'd be in hell. That's the just desert that we all deserve if God only gave us justice for the crimes that we committed against Him. But His justice instead was poured out on the cross of Christ so that we might receive His grace and mercy instead. And so... Where are you at in your spiritual journey? Are, do you need to receive his grace and mercy today, maybe for the first time? Or maybe you have, for the first time, a better understanding of this grace and mercy you have received at some point in the past. Let me encourage you to respond to that Spirit of God that is working in your life right now. After the service, you just step over to the, under the arches there in the back of the sanctuary, and you'll find some of our deacons there that'll help you apply this message to your life. Whether it is accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, recommitting yourself to Christ, Repenting of some lifestyle of smugness or arrogance or being unconcerned with the plight of others, suffering, and you want to get in touch with that whole aspect of this message, and so they can help you with that. Maybe you're looking to, for a new church home and we can help you figure out the schedule of our next membership class and how you can get involved in that. Maybe you need to be baptized. You're already a Christian. You've never been baptized. We can help schedule you to get involved in baptism class. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we want to just bless you and encourage you and help you along your way. So Father, thank you so much for these who are here today and for speaking to all of our hearts and I just pray that you would make us a people who are more righteous in our application of the gospel so that you might be glorified and your church might be empowered to do what you've called us to do in this sin sick world Thanks again for your word that, highlight, that illuminates our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.